Hello, I'm Donna Edda, and this is the Interested Podcast, a show that shares our collective wisdom to inspire health, love, and personal growth. Welcome to episode eight of Interested. I have the pleasure to talk with Simon Holiday. His love of swimming has led him to be a part of an amazing community that teaches thousands of people to swim for free. Simon is a passionate, pioneering open water swimmer. He is the second person to swim from Hong Kong to Macau. He also circumnavigated the Hong Kong Island. And of course, he has the English Channel under his belt. Simon is a co-founder of Splash Foundation, a non-profit organization that promotes safety, empowerment and connection through swimming. I was lucky enough to witness that firsthand when I volunteered for Splash last year. When I reached out to Simon, I was excited to pick his brain and learn all things that could help me become a better open water swimmer. Well, you'll hear some tips on how to swim better, but most importantly, we will talk about why swimming can be life-changing. In this episode, we will talk about swimming as a mental challenge, and if we allow ourselves to zoom out just a little bit and find the time and space, we can also experience swimming for community and inclusion. Without further ado, here is Simon Holiday. Hi Simon, thank you so much for being here today. Hi Donna, good to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this conversation because swimming is something that I love and there are so many topics that I would like to explore with you today. But first, let's talk about your upbringing. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a seaside uh, town on in the south coast of England in Sussex, um, a place called Bognor Regis, which if you're British you'll you'll know about because it's quite notorious as a 1950s dilapidated um, seaside town. But it was uh, it was a good place to to grow up. I, I grew up in a little cul-de-sac and quite quiet. What did your parents do for a living growing up? Yeah, so my my father was in adult education, which is basically what I do now, and my mother was a social worker. Adult education in what sense? So he he ran the um, adult education function for a county council, so he was responsible for all the adult learning programs that the council run. Growing up, were your parents swimmers? No, they weren't, actually, and they're not particularly sporty people, and even though I lived uh, in a town next to the seaside, I never never swam there it wasn't until um i got into my mid to late 20s is, is when i started swimming i started with triathlon first of all but it was the swimming part of that that i was most interested in and i was best at so after doing about six or seven triathlons i decided to focus on on swimming and open water swimming in particular how did you go from growing up in a non-swimming environment to wanting to participate in triathlons well, it's so it, it started with a, um, a a girl I met at work, and um, we we went out on a on a few dates, and she told me about her experience of growing up and swimming as a young girl, and then when she got a little bit older, she she swam the channel, and and I really liked her at the at the time, and. <laughs> and I think as a result of that I wanted to impress her or something and, and I decided to find out a little bit more about it and started the journey. It never worked out between us actually but I kept, I kept swimming nevertheless. So let's backtrack a little bit more. Back in high school which social group did you belong to? I wasn't a cool kid at school. Um, I was a little bit nervous I think um, and it, it wasn't until the sixth form that I came 
into my own a, a little bit. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a geeky kid because I was pretty good at sports and I um, I played football at the weekends and at school. But yeah, no, not one of, not certainly not one of the cool kids. <laughs> and can you share memory of a teacher that made an impact on you? Yeah, yeah. So uh, in sixth form, everything changed because the kids who stayed on, um, so this is 16, I was 16 years old, and the kids who were still in school wanted to be there and wanted to learn. So the teachers that we had were treated us very differently. They treated us like adults and we had discussions for the first time in, in, in classrooms. And Mr. Davis was one of the best at that. Um, so he was my sociology teacher. And I remember in the first term, we um, we looked at Emil Durkheim's work. So, so Durkheim is kind of the father of sociology. And he did this study on um, suicide. At 16 years old, I just assumed that people commit suicide because of personal trauma that they're going through. It's an individual act, and it's something that's not quite right in their psychology. But Durkheim's study was all about how in Protestant communities suicide was a lot higher than in Catholic communities and it was to do with social ties so in fact suicide was more to do with society and social ties and social connections than it was to do with any individual traits and that for me was just a real light bulb moment it just made me think in a completely and completely different way and the way we went about that discussion exploring new ideas and concepts was phenomenal. So how has that shaped you? It just made me think about how much I don't know and I felt the same. I felt the same for the um, for the years that that have preceded that. Actually, I remember being at university and going into philosophy lecture and just feeling a bit lighter because there was so much that that I did. You know, we were talking about the existence of a, you know bacon and the existence of a table and that kind of that kind of thing. And it was was one of those moments where I felt so excited by learning something new. And I think a lot of people feel that. Perhaps not everyone, but I I love that experience. The joy of a beginner's mind. Well, this is a good segue to lead us into your open water swimming achievement. You swim the English Channel. You broke the record at the time swimming around the Hong Kong Island. The second person to swim from Hong Kong to Macau. Can you walk us through briefly what does it take to prepare such a big swim? The main thing is finding people who can help you. My channel swimming journey started in probably 2009 2010 and it was when I just started talking to people about what this challenge is about and they put me in touch with other people Um, I started swimming in Dover Harbour at the start of May which is when the season starts that is a strange place to go for the first time because you're getting out of a, a nice warm car you're on the promenade you get changed on a shingle beach what's a shingle beach shingle shingle <laughs> shingle is it's it's a peculiarly british thing it's a, it's a sort of form of sea defense the shingle is stones on the beach so you walk you walk you walk on and that feels uncomfortable it's cold you're in just a pair of speedos and hat and goggles and someone is shouting instructions about how much you have to swim and basically you swim between walls in in the harbour it takes about 40 minutes to or 30 or 40 minutes to to go from one side to the other and you're told you have to do 30 minutes or so one one lap or two hours or four hours and it corresponds with how the how warm the the sea temperature gets so in may uh, when i was going it was about seven degrees and that is cold i mean that is really cold that's like putting your hand in a fridge it's it's tough so you do kind of short stuff just to, to begin with and when everyone comes out of the water 
they're shivering. I mean, they're, 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 they can't they can't hold. People are giving them mugs of cocoa, but they can't hold it because because it's so cold. And I was like that. I was really skinny back then. But but people are happy. People and I was not happy <laughs> for the first few months. Uh, and actually, I was meant to do the channel in 2010, but I but I, I I just couldn't get used to the cold quick enough. So I had to put my solo swim back until 2011. But it's an amazing journey that you go on. I mean, for me, it was it was about how you get used to the cold. It's not so much about the distance. The the distance is about 35 kilometers, which is not massive. People do ridiculous swims now. But for me, it was really to deal with the the cold, and you have to deal with that mentally and physically so with the f- the physical aspects are you just have to put on a lot of weight I mean I did so I put on 25 kilos how did you do that well uh, I <laughs> I started just trying to eat a lot of food uh, eat a lot more carbohydrates then I moved on to the the harder stuff people people had suggested to me that perhaps you should try eating blocks of marzipan because in a block of marzipan there's about two and a half thousand calories it's about the most calorific thing you can eat there's only a certain amount of marzipan you, you can eat what I discovered was the best way to put on weight is just drinking pints of Dr Pepper I'd have four pints of of Dr Pepper before bed every night and sure enough (laughs) I I put on a lot of weight I mean you've got to be very careful with this because a lot of a lot of channel swimmers can track diabetes as a result so I'm not sort of advocating it generally or 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 as a long-term solution but I was 104 kilos by the time I I was ready to swim and is there a particular kind of fat that you want to prepare for this swim um, the sort of fat that you want is around the stomach area because it protects the vital the vital organs. So, not everyone deals with the cold in the same way, and I and and some channel swimmers are a, a lot a lot leaner than I was, or just a kind of normal weight. So, just to put my achievement, it, I, it took me 15 hours. It's a really really bad day when I did the channel, but I only did it one way. You might have read about Sarah Thomas, this American swimmer who did it four times uh, continuously. So, and she was quite a normal build, normal kind of weight. She was just super, super acclimatized, and then done a lot of training swims in the lead up to it. She, it's funny when um, when you get to that level, uh, it's not so much about a crossing. She called it a lap. So it's laps of the English Channel. It's all re- relative, right? That's crazy. How do you choose what swim you want to do? I like doing pioneering swims a lot more than well-established swims so going out finding a stretch of water and swimming around an island or swimming a a channel that have may may only been done once or twice before I liken it although it's not quite the same but um, to the age of you know the age of discovery when you had Portuguese and Spanish and British people and many many other people getting on boats and going going around the world and or, or the age of polar exploration where you had Scott and Amundsen and Shackleton and these these kind of people getting getting to the poles or more recently people cycling around the world or cycling or running or whatever it might be and swimming is um is going through a kind of golden age of its own particularly in Asia but just because a lot of people don't swim or haven't swum open water for hundreds of years last week two of my friends swam from Sri Lanka to India and it was the, f- the first time it had been done by any Westerners. It had been done by, by some, some Indians in the past. Um, but there's this land bridge between Sri Lanka and India, ancient land bridge um, that had fallen into the sea about 14,000 years ago. And so it's a 30-kilometre swim, so it's not that, not that actually that far. 
but it's just cool which is really exciting to do and the Hong Kong Island swim was that that hadn't been done in 40 years and and never been done before that swimming from Hong Kong to Macau is the same but there's lots of swims Japan has a really um, rich swimming history in the 16th century onwards the samurai had to learn how to swim in in armor and with swords and things yeah things like that yeah that it was part of their initiation as part of their part of their training and that's why japan has been a force in in olympic swimming for some time because they have this this culture of, of swimming and, and what's interesting is because japan was isolated for 200 years they came up with all these really odd swimming styles um that you don't see uh, anywhere else so there's variations of side stroke and um and kind of head up breaststroke but they're also that they're, they're different from the four that we that we know um and and they're being lost now I mean, people don't tend to swim those kind of styles anymore but there's many of them um so there's this whole culture that grew in isolation this whole swimming culture that grew separately from the rest of the rest of the world and so anyway i'm just fascinated in the stories around around swimming and someday i've been talking about this for years but someday i'll write a book about it nice what would the book be about it would be about swims in asia there is a rich swimming history but a lot of it isn't written down so you really have to find find out where the where the stories are but yeah i definitely do some swims in japan and talk about the history there um the philippines in the philippines uh ferdinand magellan who was this the, the first person to circumnavigate the the globe although he didn't actually make it because he died he was he was um he was murdered in the philippines um but he got to the he got to the philippines along with his crew and um, they were looking for the Spice Islands, but they stopped there because they just crossed the Pacific. It took them several months. It thought that they th- he thought it was just going to take several weeks, and it was based on an assumption that the world was a lot smaller than it actually actually was. But there's some significant places in the in the Philippines. So there's an island um, called Langkawa, where the fir- apparently the first Catholic um, mass w- took place, and it was and it was the um, the priest on board Magellan's ship that, that that held the mass um, for people there. So that would be a signi- that would be an opportunity to tell that story and maybe do a swim at the same at the same time. Wow, it's like a history class, but with swimming. Oh yeah, I think that's the thing. And um, John F. Kennedy was stationed in the Solomon Islands and had to do a swim from um, from one island to the other because his boat was, um, was torpedoed by the Japanese at the time, and he had to get help by swimming from from one island to the other. So there's all these co- there's all these kind of sw- uh, stories that I've read about and that are in my head that I just need to put together at some point. Now let's switch gear for a little bit. Embarking on any big ocean swim is not easy. Can you briefly talk us through the preparation that is involved? It's a real challenge, real logistical challenge, and and I've been fortunate to to know people in Hong Kong who have a completely different skill set from me, who who are able to plan the logistics. That's not really my my bag. A good friend of mine, Shu Pu, who's a paddler and a strong athlete in her own right, she planned the route. She had to get permissions to do the Hong Kong to Macau swim from 14 different government departments across three jurisdictions so I mean it's a really hard thing to do that's a lot harder than the than the swim itself so you need someone like that who's has that skill set same with the round Hong Kong Island swim which I remember being in a boardroom in my office and having this is about a week before before I was due to swim in 2017 we had 25 people around the table so it was logistics people pilots support vessels kayakers 
PR people, Splash people, because I was raising money for Splash. I mean, there was just there was just a huge number of people involved. My trainer, you know, it's a big undertaking. How do you choose your support crew that is by your side during your swim, during your darkest moment? Yeah, for the round Hong Kong Island swim, it was my wife was um, was feeding me, so I obviously trust her, and that worked out well. Actually, going back to the Eng- English Channel, I thought a lot about the people I wanted on board. Um, and it wasn't just people who are close to me, it was actually people who have the right attitude and, and people who are gonna say the, the right things at the right times. So the worst thing you can say to a, a long distance swimmer when they're in the middle of their swim is you're nearly there. Because no one knows if you're, near, you know, you're nearly there. Things change very quickly. And in the channel, people have been swimming for 14 or 15 hours they can literally see France but the tide changes and they're not strong enough to fight the tide so they might be 750 meters away from shore and actually make it some of them have been pulled out at that last minute which must be absolutely soul destroying and it makes it worse when you've got someone saying it's just over there you know (laughs) because what you're looking for is to find your reserves of stoicism that you're trying to accept the circumstances that you're in and just put your head down and think about stroke after stroke um what you're going to do you can't think all right i'm nearly there so i can just take it easy or i'm nearly there i'll just push i'll I'll just push for the last hour you just got to keep it steady all the way you see your crew play a really important role I, i i know when i'm when i've been swimming and i look look at the boat you know if people are having a party or they're eating or you know that all those kind of things affect you you're very very sensitive to changes on on the boat like i know if something's wrong sometimes because people are, are just their body language is different they the, the, just the way they move is different and because you don't have anything else to think about because you can't hear anything or you can't see very much the people on the support boat or the people next to you in the kayak transfer their emotions to you very quickly so they have to be calm have to be cool don't give the swimmer too much information. That's the worst thing you can do. That's a great tip. So when you do these long ocean swims on your own, what goes through your mind? I just try and stop thinking completely. And I try and get into that stage where um, I'm aware of my body, I'm aware of my arms going back and forth, but I'm trying to focus more on the breathing and just getting that inhalation of breath and, and, and blowing it out and the bubbles and 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 just getting into a really relaxed rhythm. It's almost like a moving meditation. Yeah, that's why swimming I think is so powerful because it is a lot like meditation. There's a few more things to think about and I always have this debate with my wife who meditates every morning. She gets up at 5 a.m. and and meditates for an hour every every day and I sometimes get up with her. But we always we, we have this discussion about whether whether swimming is the same as, as meditation and she feels it's different because because meditation is about stillness and obviously in swimming it's about movement so I don't know like I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure whether it's the same there is definitely a, um, a meditative quality and when you're swimming well and you're with you're with the waves you feel like you're with the all the forces around you it's it's an incredible feeling Let's zoom in on the swimming itself. What are some swimming tips that you can share to improve our swimming in the ocean? I should say I'm still learning learning these things. I, I've got a, a naturally long and languid stroke, so I'm probably best when in the pool, <laughs> to be honest. Long distance pool sets are probably my, my thing. Um, but when the, uh, 
when the ocean is is smooth uh when it's not too choppy I, that's probably when i'm at, at my best it gets a bit harder and this is why I think ocean swimming is more interesting than normal swimming because you have to adapt to the circumstances. So if it does get choppy, you have to shorten your stroke uh, and increase your stroke rate because else you'll just get pulled behind. You have to really fight in those situations. In terms of being efficient, it's recognizing that you have gears and you have to change depending on the, uh, the, the environment. This is when you're doing swims on your own. I mean, obviously, if you're doing racing, and I do some of the races in Hong Kong and, and, and around Asia, that's like any other kind of sport that's the same as cycling or running you know you want to get catch a draft so you want to swim with someone who's slightly faster than you and you just stay on their stay on their toes because that's a good place good place to be when you're out there and things get tough you can't see land the tide is pulling you how do you reassure yourself and get back on track i know i can float Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna die. Um, I'm not really scared of marine life or or anything like that. I know I've got people with me. You should never swim alone. And most of the time, when I'm when I'm training, I train with a um, a group. Um, there's a Sunday group and a Saturday open water group, um, and I train with them. So often you're you're very close to people, but occasionally you get um, separated from the group when you're swimming on your own. If there's a weather front that comes in and there's waves and it becomes a bit of bit of chop i've had those moments where you suddenly think gosh i'm on my own now and like i don't know where i am and, uh, and the tide's against me i'm not making any progress you do have those moments of realization where you think shit then you get a little bit scared <laughs> but it's kind of trusting the process it's, re- it's recognizing that if you keep swimming in that direction then you'll be okay and it's funny because that actually happened to me a few weeks ago um, where we were swimming out to Middle Island, and it was quite a rough day, and the tide was quite strong, and I was I was thinking, God, this is a this is pretty tough, and it was great. I just remember the colours; it was really, really great. Everything was really sort of distant. People, every, every, everything felt a long way away, and then you get to Round Island, and you sit on the beach, and you know, what was all the fuss about? It does play tricks on you. Can you describe a big low point during one of your ultra ocean swims? And how did you overcome it? So I, I mentioned that I was, I, I'd hoped to swim the channel in 2010. And I, and I didn't because of an incident that happened on a training camp. So I was, uh, I went to Malta in May 2010 and we were training in the, in the Mediterranean. It was about 15 degrees, so not super cold, um, but cold enough. And I was still pretty pretty skinny back then. I was still pretty inexperienced. And the training camp was four days. So you started off with short swims, 30-minute, 45-minute around bays. And then you'd build up to a six-hour swim. And if you wanted to swim the English Channel, you need to do this qualifying swim. So you need to do six hours in 15 or 16-degree water temperature. So we were building up to the six-hour swim, and I was just feeling worse and worse every every swim. The salinity of the water uh, in the Mediterranean or in that part of the Mediterranean was quite high. So after a couple of days, my tongue expanded and I was struggling to to eat or even speak. And I was constantly worried about eating more calories and this was really stressing me out. I had those moments where I, uh, those moments in the water of complete disorientation where I didn't know where I was and I was just cold. I was cold all the time and I couldn't stop thinking about the cold. And I'd get out um, 
after say three or four hours and I, I, I couldn't get couldn't get warm for about f three or four hours I'd have to I'd have to go under a duvet and I'd shiver literally for hours and so we got to the day of the the, the six hour swim I had completed all the other swims in the in the in the lead up to it but psychologically I wasn't I wasn't kind of there and there was I remember that there was another guy both me and him because we've been triathletes we were quite cocky about the whole thing going into it and thought we'd be fine and we looked at a few of the other people who were on this camp and they're a little bit old a little bit fatter um, didn't look like athletes at all and he got out after <laughs> after an hour and a quarter of this swim and I saw him get out and then I got out at about an hour and a half and I had the start of the onset of hypothermia so I could could feel the cold getting underneath my skin and and my and my head was just like cold 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 that's all I could all I could think about and I got pulled out and and we were we were swimming around this bay it was a tourist touristy kind of area and there were hotels and restaurants on the front and the um, the organizers pulled me out put me on a boat took me down to the jetty um, I was lying down they whipped off my swim shorts so I was completely naked all these people were having them all free to whatever and they're just <laughs> a bit shocked with what they saw and I, I was wrapped in blankets and and then about three or four hours afterwards I finally got warm and um, sort of realized what, what was happening but it's a strange thing hypothermia you, it does strange things to your to, to your brain often when when people do long swims and if the, the the pilot or the observer is worried about a swimmer they'll ask them to recite their pin number you know and quite often they can't say, say it or sometimes they're euf euphoric so they'll start laughing at questions like that it does really bizarre things to you and and I didn't complete the, the six hour swim I, I I failed and had to spend another year getting fat and training <laughs> in order to do it but that was um that was a real disappointment at the time and all the other you know uh, me and this guy Matt who thought we were athletes we got out early the all the other people did it they all did it they all just kept swimming how did you do it differently the next year I did a lot more training. I just went to Dover a lot, a lot more. Dover Harbour a lot more. I got in the pool and I started training a bit more. And, and I worked hard at the um, at dealing with the cold. So through the winter months in the UK, I would sleep without a duvet, with the window open, with no no central heating on. And so I'd wake up about four a.m. shivering, and finally I'd get the, put the duvet over me. But I would just deal with um, cold. Um, for met for hours on on end. Some people some people get into cold showers and and try try doing it that way, but that doesn't really work because it's just it's always going to be a shock. It's always going to be a shock, and you just don't spend long enough in the shower to for it to do any anything longer longer term. Have you ever tried ice bath? No, I, I haven't actually done ice bath. It wasn't really a thing in the same way it was. I think it was it with elite athletes, but it hadn't quite hit the mainstream. I think the other thing is is thinking about the psychology of it. And uh, there's a guy called Lewis Pugh who you might have read about. Who's a he's an ice swimmer. He's done he's an environmentalist, and he's done lots of swims in the Arctic and also in Antarctica and in the Himalayas um, to raise awareness of the environment. And he, in his book, I remember him talking about reframing your mind. So rather than thinking about cold which is a negative word for most people you try and think about how you could reframe that into a positive and there's a step in between which is bracing so when you're telling yourself when you're doing this swim and you're telling yourself um, okay it's not cold this water is not cold it's bracing and you're saying bracing bracing keep repeating that um, and then if it's bracing um, which is a neutral word um, maybe it can be invigorating 
and invigorating is, is positive. So you, you turn a negative into a positive and that kind of thing works. I think swimming in cold water now is such a pleasure. I don't swim enough in cold water these days. In, the, in Asia, all the swims that I, I've done in the Philippines and, and, and various other places, it's just not the same feeling because I love the cold now. Can you share a scary memory of an open water swim? Because sometimes I get nervous when I'm swimming in the ocean and I have a feeling that my imagination gets the better of me and it's actually not as bad as it seems. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't the ocean, actually. It was a, I, was, I did a, um, a, a swim in a, uh, in a lake in, um, in Ireland a few years back and this was part of another training, training camp that I was on and there were some amazing swims in Ireland, really, really beautiful um, sea swims, lake swims, river swims and, the, and we were in this, um, in this beautiful beautiful lake and and the and the organizer Ned Dennison who is a he's a character um and sees this all as character building opportunities for for, for people um just as we were getting in he said just be aware of the the lamprey eels because there's a lot of them in this lake and I'm, oh, all right, that doesn't sound doesn't sound good but um we'll we'll go with it so we did our sw- we don't we did, we did our swim three or four hours and I just remember uh coming out and looking down and having this lamprey eel attached to my leg, and um, if you have a look at it, look at these things on the on the internet. They are horrible. They've got they're like an eel, but they've got the their, their head is sort of sawn off, and there's these teeth that that are poking. Out. It's really yeah, it's like yeah, it's, it's like something out of June. It's uh, really really weird, and they attach to your leg and they suck your blood, and if you just pull them out, you pull out a lot of your flesh as well. So you have to. Um, unfortunately, the, as I was coming in, someone someone t- someone told me to do this. But you, you kind of have to twist them like a like a bottle top in order to get them off. And this one wasn't a big one. I mean, so they get you know two two feet or something, but or, or six feet six feet long. This was a you know pretty small. But that was that was a bit of a shocking um, experience. And the other one, and this is more, and this was this was again a weird a weird situation. I was swimming um, in Malaysia, and uh, it was just in this in this bay it was beautiful it was uh, it was a diving site so the water was very clear visibility was excellent and I was swimming along and then probably about I don't know 100 meters or 50 meters away maybe I saw this shark and, it, and I could tell it was a shark because it was just moving in the in the way that sharks do and I remember being in the water and and, and thinking like that you know it's like my <laughs> so I was just trying to find like where I'm going to go so I tried to try to get away as soon as I as soon as I can and the shark was getting closer and closer to me and I was thinking oh, no. and then eventually just passed me and it was about a foot long and it was just one of these reef sharks so so that was a scary moment I mean I was on my own at that point yeah now let's get to the part that I know you're really passionate about and that is swimming for inclusion you and Libby co-founded Splash five years ago it's a non-profit organization to teach underprivileged people how to swim. Tell us more about Splash. So um, Libby Alexander and I co-founded Splash back in 2015. In, in fact, we, um, we celebrated our birthday on Sunday. It was um, March the 1st was when we, uh, when we ran our first swim program for, for migrant domestic workers. Since then, we've taught nearly 3,000 people how to swim. And it, we're hoping by the end of this year to, to teach at least... 4,000. I was very aware when I came to Hong Kong that swimming seems to be a middle-class sport. I used to live in the mid-levels and I would come down the escalator and I would get the bus uh, to the to the beach and I'd see women on pieces of cardboard 
underneath skyscrapers and then when I got to the beach I would you know I'd see the women on the beach or you know they might be up to their ankles but they weren't swimming and and it was at that point that I realized that we have this amazing group of women 400,000 migrant domestic workers in Hong Kong some of them are happy enough doing what they're doing on, a, on their one day off but there are many more who want the opportunity to do more things and what can I offer well you know I'm a I'm a swimmer why don't we set up a set up a swim school and it was that realization that not only is there an opportunity for people to do something extra but these people can't swim they've never learned you know if you didn't learn at school and if your parents can't swim either how, how are you going to learn what's going to give you that impetus and so we started with migrant domestic workers and we've since been teaching underprivileged kids as well that's a big beneficiary group in the future we might teach older people or disabled kids you know we could swimming is good for for lots of people and it's been an amazing journey i remember that first class that we that we ran we had about 20 25 participants and we didn't know what we were doing at the time and we we had karen robertson oh she's awesome and part of float plus so she, she was a coach so she knew what she was doing but the rest of us was weren't coaches by background and the assumption that i had which is that you just get people in a kind of swimming position and then you just move your arms you know move your head side to side and you'll be and you'll be fine it's what we've learned what we've discovered is that swimming is such a technical sport and there's so many things you have to think about at once and our curriculum is i think it, i think now is really good at breaking those different different elements down so it's understandable and so that's the swimming element you know swimming is the vehicle um, but it's it's a lot more than than that there's education and the the joy of learning there's a self-esteem that you get from learning uh, learning that life skill um, and the confidence that you people have in and out of the water and then there's the community that we've built so we have about 70 or 80 coaches now we have 3,000 people who've been through our beginner um, and some of them intermediate and advanced programs some of them are swimming four or five kilometers themselves now some of them are doing diving you know they're doing a whole range of different things with their with their swim skills and for them as well as for the coaches what's amazing is is how easy this is to do particularly for adults like adults pick this up a lot quicker than kids but in 11 weeks in 11 instructional hours we can get a participant an adult in her 50s let's say to swim the length of a 25 meter pool right on their own it's remarkable and i can vouch for this because i volunteered a splash for one season last year in the beginning the students were nervous and some were very tense and some of them have never even had any experience swimming in the water even they might have grown up right next to the beach. Some of them have never been in water, yeah. in, in a body of water, never been in a bar. It reminds me actually one of one of the women, I think she's called Juliet, that, that I taught was very much like that, super tense to start with, wouldn't put her head under the water, would hold her breath, and uh, and very quiet as well, very shy. She was um, very, very kind of wiry, um, hadn't done any kind of sport, I think, in, in, in her life. and. I mean, this is the thing that you discover about these women. They're so bright. You can't imagine what it must feel like to, to take up swimming at 50 years old. And, and she didn't pick it up immediately. Um, but by week six or week seven, she'd got the basics. So she could do what we call superwoman. She could um, be in a, a flat position. She was beginning to 
uh, to catch the water so she was at the same time rotating from her front to her back and then being confident to float on her back but she was one of the ones that we weren't sure was actually going to make going to complete the assessment so we do an assessment at the end and it's seven core skills um, that we're looking for which are water safety and, and, and swimming skills and I remember this is at Chinese International School I could just remember her at the deep end holding onto the side and we have a coach in the water we have um, an assessor on the side of the pool and um, we're kind of, okay Julia you know when, whenever you're ready and she was shaking, shaking like that and uh, and she swam and she swam and she didn't do it it wasn't perfect freestyle um, but she got to the end there were a few other swimmers who, who had already completed their t- 25 meters and there were coaches there and we were all clapping clapping it was a cacophony of sounds and she got to the side and it was just this sort of outburst of emotion. She, she touched the side, she put her hand in the air, she was slapping the water. Her I- employers were there to see that, and she's a real inspiration. There are so many stories like that. Yeah, that's just a drop in the bucket. What are the common struggles and blocks that you see in beginners? Yeah, well, it's that tension thing. It's very hard to float if you're tense. Your, your natural defense is, is to hold yourself in a kind of ball you won't breathe underwater so you'll hold your breath as well and all all of that we just try and get them comfortable so we try and we make them laugh and we get them in the right kind of position so whether it be a, on a back float or a superwoman if they know they can do that and they'll be safe they'll move on to on to other things i think the other thing and it related to what i said before is about overthinking overthinking things and we introduce one different thing every every time so we're not going to say okay you know into superwoman right arm goes down rotate go back you know we don't all we don't do all those things at the start we layer it so so people just have to remember one more thing every every time and it's still difficult because by the end of a session they might have to learn three or four things and you can tell that their eyes are going up and they're trying to think all right if i do this do this and that's when they fail the moment they realize that they they kind of have to let it go and have to feel the water rather than think through the water is when they finally get it. So it's, it's moving from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. So when they don't have to think about it anymore. And that's a really important metaphor for life. And I think the, the reason why what we do is powerful is because if you, you, get, you get a group of people who don't know anything when they start, and uh, they support one another. They learn from the they learn from the coaches. They they overcome their fear. Many of them have had I mean, unbelievable number of them have had bad experiences in the water, and that's why they've never been been back. But they overcome it. It becomes a metaphor for for things that they want to do in in other aspects of of their life, and to be able to to support them do, doing that. And just that point about overthinking things. I mean, I think that's that's something that I'm certainly guilty of in my working life as well. I work for a, a law firm and. You know, so I'm just trying to think about how things will land with my target audience. And sure, you have to prepare and you have to research and you have to for presentations or negotiations or whatever it is that you're doing. But at some point, you have to let things go, you know? You have to let things go. There's a friend of mine who told me the other day that you hold things lightly. And that's not to say that you don't take things seriously, but you hold things lightly. Oh, I like that. Because I guess when you hold things too tightly, it will just break. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, a thing that I really love about the splashes that graduate from the program is they want to find a way to give back. Yeah, I mean that's that's been one of the ancillary benefits that we've that we've recognized is the number of 
our participants who have been through the Splash programs and want to continue to contribute either to Splash or to the wider swimming community. So we've, we have a graduate program now. 16 of us are our swimmers and our coaches or they're volunteers on the side of the pool taking registration. The admins, the volunteers, the ambassadors, we're calling them, play an incredibly important role. They're the, the conduit between the swimmers and between us, the coaches. So they have a good idea about you know who didn't feel particularly good that day. They'll find out about how they're getting on. They'll look into their welfare and um, and they'll support them that way and they'll let us, let us know. And then you've got volunteers who at the open water swim races will do the do the race marking beforehand and they take the register and they'll do all those kind of things. And they do that, you know, they don't get paid to do that, they do that. They do that because they want to they want to give back and they love the energy of the the swimming community and they're so valued, you know. So from my understanding, Splash is working towards teaching five thousand people how to swim. What needs to happen to help you guys get there? Um, we need money to be able to, you know, it's not like kicking a bag of air around a, around a field. It, you need volunteers, but you also need lifeguards. You need premises. We need money in order to do that. We need pools. There are so many pools in Hong Kong. And um, we've got good relationships now with some of the international schools. We run weekday programs um, now as well at some of the clubs in Hong Kong. Um, we do use public pools sometimes as well, but it's quite difficult to book, book lanes. Our ultimate aim is to find a pool in Hong Kong that we can call our own because we could use that 24-7. There is no shortage of demand. We have six people apply for one of our spots every term. We don't do any advertising. We could just we could just fill it. There are so many people who need to learn. Probably half the population of Hong Kong can't swim. If we had pools... Um, to that we could that we could use then that would be a game changer on it or a pool of our own all right we'll put it out there and let's see how we can make it happen yeah thank you (laughs) I, i should also say a bit more about our coaches as well because we wouldn't be able to run these programs with professional coaches alone we have professional coaches but nearly all of our coaches are, are volunteers and, and we train them we train them up so i mean you've been through the been through the program and we have experienced coaches who, who who deliver that training and then and then we have an induction program so people gently uh, are, are guided into it um, there's not too much responsibility at the start but there is a little bit later but so we're looking for more volunteer coaches and you don't need any, you need to swim um, <laughs> but you don't need yeah you don't need any ex- any coaching experience what surprised you the most now five years since Splash first started? Um, that's a really good question as as well. I, I think what surprised me most is how deeply people care about other people succeeding. And you build a platform for people and Libby is the one who's done that. Um, she she has really created the the organization splash with my support and some other people's support but if you create that platform and you give people an opportunity and um, you give people um, support then they will want to help other people as a volunteering experience um, I volunteered at other charities before and you're quite a long way away from the beneficiary group so you don't see tangible change at splash you do you see it right in front of your eyes and you know that although it's mostly to do with the swimmer because it's it's the difference between teaching somebody and allowing somebody to learn they're slightly different things um but you do feel that your contribution has made a massive impact on their on their lives and just people's willingness to to do that 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 it's kind of a source of their happiness 
um, is creating happiness in others. That's that's what I've learned. I love that. I remember at the Splash Relay last year, it's a fundraising event where teams have to swim against each other and we're, we're racing. We were a team of six and two of them were splashes, which means they just learned how to swim. And we were swimming as fast as we could, trying to get all the laps in. And I remember at one point I was so exhausted and the splasher on my team put her hand on my shoulder and said, yeah, good swim, well done. And in that moment, it was exactly what I needed and it made me feel so good and it was so encouraging. The Splash Just Relay is a nice event, actually. It's we, we, that's our main fundraiser of the year and it's at Canadian International School 25-metre pool. We um, match up representatives from corporates, friends and family, schools and clubs. So we have people old and young and from different different parts of Hong Kong teams are four or five and we match that with two of our splashers who've just learned to swim so you're all on the same team and you have to swim uh, as many laps of a 25 meter pool as you can in half an hour it's a really great event because that the, the splashes support support you and you support the splashes and i, I remember one um one company that uh, st james's place actually they're, they're wealth managers and they've um, they've taken part the last uh, the, the last few years. And I just remember when the splashers were in the water, they were walking up and down the pool, clapping them every single stroke. It was it was just 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 incredible to see. It's such a great event. I highly recommend people to join it. Okay, so we're going to close this interview with a few rapid questions. What is the book you have gifted or left the strongest impression on you? Wild Swans, Yung Chang. Three, gener- three generations of Chinese, Chinese women over the 20th century. Amazing. What is the best lesson that your dad or mum taught you? Most people are good at their core. What is your worst fear? Getting old. Really? Yeah. What are you scared about growing old? Well, it just I, ha- I have a, a baby on the way. Um, There's just changes that you go through becoming an adult. It's taken me a while to become an adult. I've always been a bit of a man-child. What advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? Uh, get your shit together. And in swimming, what closing thought would you like to share with the audience that could inspire love, health, and personal growth? Um, I don't know if this quite answers the question, but when my baby is born, um, what I'm most looking forward to is uh, taking them to the water because it's it's the most amazing environment and it's where we're all from. So I urge you to go down to Repulse Bay and try it out for yourself. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. You can check out more about Simon and the Splash Foundation on www.splashfoundation.org. You can also find them on Facebook, Splash Foundation, and Instagram, Splash Foundation LTD. Check them out. I will put their details in the show notes. Simon and I would love to hear what's the single biggest insight that you're taking away from this conversation and how can you put it into action right now in your life. The best conversations happen after the episode is over at my website, interested.blog, or my Interested Podcast Facebook page. So go on over there and access the show notes and leave a comment. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend.